Oh, we will have to edit that bit out, but we're live now. <laughs> it's all right. I'll, uh, I can just chop it out. So, um, we'll go in three, two, one. All right. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Phone Jacker Sales podcast. It's a podcast about sales. So I've got another guest. Obviously, this is how podcasts work. A friend of mine, um, a fella called Duncan. And we're going to be talking about recruitment. So, yeah, I had another friend on the podcast. Some of you may have seen him briefly. He had to take that podcast down in the end. So hopefully, yeah, we don't get a repeat of things. But uh, with that, Duncan, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, all the better for doing this with you as a friend of mine. I'm looking forward to this chat. So recruitment. Uh, obviously, I know who you are. You've got the branded T-shirt on. Um, you're in character. Yeah. So for people that don't know who you are, who the fuck are you and what do you do? For the, uh, for the thousands of listeners. That's it. Um, uh, so yeah, Duncan Cameron, um, I co-founded <coughs> Capu Search in March 2021. So that's with my business partner, Nathan, who you also know. Um, so we've worked in recruitment for coming up 10 years now. So personally for me, that's, uh, four years in a big corporate, uh, three years in a boutique executive search firm. And then we're now into our third year with Capu. So for people that don't really know how recruitment works, um, 80% of what we do is contract recruitment. So we'll place like limited business, independent contractors onto projects that typically last six to 12 months, um, charge an hourly or a daily rate. And we take a margin on that. And then we also do some permanent recruitment, which is uh, you charge a launch fee and then the rest on success. Um, so it's just just the two of us. So co-founder is a bit of a lofty title, but looks better on LinkedIn, doesn't it? <laughs> well, if you co-founded the business, you're a co-founder, right? Um, but look, I don't know how you know how podcasts work, but I'm the one that asks the questions, all right? So the listeners you asked you stole one of my questions but it's all right we'll come back to it so i got a question for you you've been doing this for you said 10 years how did you get into recruitment or why did you get into recruitment uh well the the why first um i needed a job um <laughs> the how so uh nathan um who been friends with before uh got into recruitment he he got a job um at our first company and basically wouldn't stop talking about it, commission, incentives, that sort of stuff. Um, so he got me the interview and a thousand pound referral fee, which I didn't see anything of. Um, <laughs> but that, that got me the interview, got me the job, uh, stayed on his sofa for six weeks until me and, uh, me and Flea found a flat and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. So fell into recruitment like a lot of people have. Got it. And, um, like I was going to say, it's very similar to sales. The question we're going to come on to is recruitment sales, right? It's a bit of a spoiler, but we'll get there in a second. But yeah, it's very similar to, to sales, right? It's most people fell into it and they were looking for a job. And I imagine like sales, more specifically generic sales, but recruitment, everyone's hiring, right? So it's fairly easy to get a job. Is, was, that, was that the case when you were looking and all of that? For, for me personally to get a job? Just anyone like recruitment. Um, yeah, I suppose like sales and recruitment. Like, there's you, you you can compare the two, and is recruitment sales? Like, yes, fundamentally, like the environment, the commission, the incentives, like the behaviours it requires to be successful. Like, it, it is the same thing. But um, uh, I mean, I had to blag it to to get the job. I had to say that I had a bit of sales experience before um, to get the job because they said that that was um one of the criteria so you had to have some exposure to sales to get a recruitment job at the first place i worked but i think the the barriers to entry are quite low um and yeah. they provide you with the training that at the time you think is 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 what you need you do your, your crash course and then you're on the phones yeah got it i remember obviously this is going back a while and a few of our other friends got into recruitment it kind of felt like 
most people had a stab at it and then it's just some people stayed on some people are just like nah this is this is not for me uh why yeah. why is that the case is that the case i guess first first and foremost on your experience and why is that the case yeah i mean like most people that will go and work for um they'll go and work for an agency and they have no say at what market uh, they're going to work on so we recruit yeah. quite a technical medical device market um day one i had no idea what a medical device was but i interviewed for the life sciences team and uh, that's the that's the desk that they put me on for me fortunately it was a buoyant market and it was a new market so it wasn't like i was taking on a desk that was being split with someone else and i was just given a small part because straight away that's a bit of an uphill battle um, yeah. But I think people getting into recruitment, like they, they don't know the questions to ask. So a lot of people will end up on markets where a manager is being incentivized to grow their team or a, a, a desk is being split, whatever it is. Um, are, are they potential markets that could grow? Like who knows? But it's, it's partly down to the market. It's partly down to the individual. Um, and if you get a positive of both, you can hit it off. But in a lot of agencies, particularly in current market, like 80 percent of recruiters are probably underperforming and then that drives oh, the wrong really? behaviors and that's where you get the churn. So people will last six to 12 months, they'll be on performance management. They'll maybe move teams as like a last roll of the dice and then, and they'll leave. Yeah. 80% is high. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's, uh, like the, the targets that an agency will put in place in terms of what's profitable. I mean, for, for contract recruitment, at least in our markets, if you're doing like three or four deals a month, like you, you're doing well, but the work yeah. that goes into those three to four deals is a lot. So it's like, if you're only celebrating three to four times a month, once you get that deal over the line, it's a, it's a hard job. So if you're not even doing that, uh, yeah. and then you've got the pressure of your manager, like what you're sticking around for, you're seeing people going on incentives, like you're not earning commission. You're just, you're just going around in circles. Like it's, it's a tough job. Yeah, no, it certainly feels like that from the outside. Uh, and yeah, going back to the kind of situation of seeing people try recruitment and drop out and been like, this isn't for me. I feel like the common denominator is it's hard work regardless, right? You can have a good market uh and all the rest of it or a bad market or a new yeah. market and yeah regardless it's going to be hard work and from what you were saying that a good recruiter is basically doing one place in someone once a week i mean if uh if, if nathan and i set out at the start of the year and said if we can get to the end of the year and have done a deal a week then we'd be smashing it like we, we would have yeah a very good business so you go through peaks and troughs like you win a project and you do a couple of placements as a, as a bit of a flurry and then you, you're building your pipeline again and you can have a few quiet weeks but if you can average out a deal a week that's that's very good going yeah nice okay um all right we'll unpack that a bit uh later on uh but yeah the sounds like recruitment is just hard work so anyway the question is that we were going to talk about an answer is, is recruitment sales. And it's a funny one because I see it come up on LinkedIn quite a lot. And my personal opinion is it's quite clear that recruitment is sales, but yeah. you've already answered it. Yeah, it is. But I guess the best question is why, why is it even a question? Why am I even seeing posts and people talking about is recruitment sales? Um, I think the people that say that it isn't, maybe the ones that have done the job and are a bit protective over it to say that it's more than sales because yeah. that's the, the the main comparison or the, the, the main difference actually between recruitment and sales is our product can say no. So most people that work yeah. in sales um, sell a service or they sell a product and you can get deals over the line by discounting like we can't do that. Like if, if someone's got salary expectations or they've got a rate, like that is what it is. Like, yeah. Um, so you, you're trying to keep both parties happy. Like you, you want to get the result for yourself, but that needs to be like a win, win, win scenario where if, if a client isn't offering what the candidate wants, dependent on market conditions, the candidate will say no. And I guess the other difference, um, 
is that in recruitment your like your product isn't exclusive to you so we're talking to the same candidates as our competitors and a candidate will go with whatever agency has the job that they want so you've got to try and control that talent pool and build relationships with them so it is about like just like what are you doing to differentiate yourself from your competitors because uh, what are you actually building? You don't own any IP. Your candidates aren't yeah. exclusive to you. So that that's the difference and maybe why people say recruitment is different to sales, but ultimately the the day-to-day KPI nature and, and, and what you do is the same. Yeah, absolutely. No, I like that line, your product can say no because uh, it just sums it up, doesn't it? Like, I mean, in literal sense, they can say no, which is the difference between kind of generic yeah. sales. But also, like you said, with recruitment, you got to find the companies that are hiring and also the people that might be looking to hire. And I remember yeah. when I put a post out a few weeks ago, I don't know if it's a good analogy or not. I said it, you're basically like, it's matchmaking, right? So it's like Scylla Black and Grant Cardone. I picked him because he's like a... Uh, you could choose Jordan Belfort. He's like a notorious sales salesman or yeah. sales trainer. Right? They're both the same. But <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of the, it's, you're selling, but also you're, you're matchmaking, right? You've got to find the the business who's looking for someone, understand what that looks like and find someone who'd be a good fit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, from the sounds of things, I I think I said this as well. Like sales generically, generic, generically, generally, general sales is hard as it is, but I think recruitment, is probably harder right because you like you said you've got to the product can say no but also you've got to find you've got to find the company and the um the candidate so with that my my question I, a lot of people i'm sure recruitment uh people are watching this will will we'll be watching it when it's live uh, and a lot of people won't be from a recruitment background and i'm not so help me understand something help us understand something how how does it all work in a company and i'm like i mean uh, in simple terms, right? You've got to find the company that's hiring and find the candidates. Is that something that's done by one person or do you have separate people working in a team? How does that generally work in a, um, in a big recruitment company? So well, traditionally in the way that, that I've always done it, um, because it was the structure of the company that I joined um, in 2013 is you get, uh, I mean, you've got all sorts of job titles, but Basically, you get a 360 recruiter, so they do the whole job. Mm-hmm. Um, so business development and sourcing. Whereas um, a lot of agencies now have, have sort of split that. So you've got client relationship managers that do a lot of the business development. They go out and win the work. And then you've got like 180 consultants that like resource for the jobs. So yeah, I guess you, you're trying to divide and conquer and play to people's strengths. Um, and that has been done very well, but if you take the current market where people are saying maybe it's dipped, um, if Nathan and I had grown capital over the last couple of years with a lot of resources, so me and Nathan were going out and winning the work, mm-hmm. and then we've got people that are filling the jobs when the market dips, if we're pulling less jobs, you've then got mouths to feed that aren't busy and they're not capable to do business development because they've never had to do it or never, never been taught to do it. Mm. So it leaves you quite vulnerable dependent on market conditions. So the way the way we've always done it is like part of your week is business development, part of your week is resourcing for the jobs. And then within all of that, I mean, we've got a, a contractor book of contractors that work for us at the moment. That takes up a proportion of our time in terms of managing that and staying close to them because they're now our, our eyes and ears on site where we're going to get leads for more business. So yeah. Um, one of the benefits of doing the whole thing is like that's how you hear about things like the, the, the you create your own luck in recruitment the more people that you talk to mm-hmm. you're going to hear about things so if i was only doing business development and talking to clients you're having a certain type of conversation whereas if you're talking to candidates and contractors about their search you're going to hear stuff that is then going to feed into your business development the next day so it just it's a cycle you've got to do it all um, yeah. for it to work well and it's it has then just very repetitive and quite boring um yeah no, that's really you, interesting sorry go on i was gonna say once you yeah once you get the job that's then a, a different stage of the process um 
and I, I guess fortunately now, I mean, we, we say no to a lot of business and we, we can come back to that, but um, for the contractors that we place, there's probably a pool of like 100 to 150 contractors that we would like hang our hat on. Like these are the people mm -hmm. that we want to represent our company. So by the time we actually get the job on, because what we work on is so niche, yeah. we kind of already know the candidates that are going to do the job. It's more than just about resource management, who's actually got capacity to do it. We're not having to do too much on the sourcing front. Um, it's more, can we find the jobs based on the people that we've got available? So that, but that's taken 10 years to get to that point. Yeah, no, I was going to say that because from the sounds of things, and like you said, you're in a niche world with medical science, medical devices, whatever you call it. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, uh, you've got 150 contractors that, to your, use your words, you can hang your hat on, right? So I guess it's kind of just managing or understanding how, when these people are potentially looking for new work, when their contracts are up and what other jobs are coming up that you could kind of match make and do it that yeah. way. Yeah. which is a, like you said you've worked you've worked your ass off to get into this position and, and kind of um and benefit from it so to take it a step back then how do you how do you or yeah how do you specifically but how do tra traditionally recruiters how do they find the jobs right these companies that are hiring what's what's the typical process um so so we we work with a lot of startup companies um, again, like potentially lower barriers to entry. One of the biggest challenges for, uh, recruiters is like preferred suppliers lists. Mm. Um, so they're, they're good to be on. Um, but I guess like commercially, sometimes like they don't make sense either. Like you can put yeah. a lot of companies on a pedestal and think it'd be great to work with them. You start the discussions and you actually work out that actually this doesn't make sense for our business model. Um, so we, we work with a lot of startup companies. So. These are typically backed by venture capital. So they're university spin outs. They're quite academic led. They're trying to get a innovative product to market. And that that's really our sweet spot. It's that early stage of product development where we can help them with various roles, contract mm -hmm. and perm, but we track where the money goes. So if a company's just got an investment, some of that will go into product development. Some of that will go into headcount growth. So that's like the perfect time for us to be working with them or even earlier than that really when we know money is coming and we've already got the relationship um so yeah we we track where the money goes um other ways people find jobs like just trawling job boards or other agencies adverts that, that's like really old school if you're if you may be struggling or just, that, just when you say adverts is that like um oh, i can't remember what you like monster and uh again like read, the jobs read, is, read the yeah, big one yeah there's like the traditional job boards, I think maybe in like other sectors. So yeah, like, I, I don't know, like IT recruitment might be quite big on job boards and get good advert responses. But again, cause what we do is quite niche. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a case of, can you see something? Or if a, if a company's hiring for a job, a permanent job, yeah, and they've posted that on LinkedIn, if we know that that's quite a difficult role to fill, we'll get in touch to see if they would take a consultant in the interim. Cause a search process might take three to six months, but they could bring in a contractor for three to six months to actually start the work and then hand over. Um, so that, that's another way you can get jobs on. Yeah. That's really interesting actually. Um, using kind of, uh, I guess buyer intent and, and just data points to be a bit more strategic, uh, in finding businesses. Um, I had a question for you there and it's completely slipped my mind. Ask another one. Yeah, I'll have to. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask was around when you're prospecting, like recruiters have such a bad reputation, right? So I guess the first question is why is that the case in your opinion? Uh, so uh, so we, we actually went out, um, we took a contractor out for dinner um, earlier this week and there was a couple of other people from the business that, that came out and they were just asking like how our business model worked and why do people choose to work with certain agencies? Cause we, we don't offer them anything to make sure they're exclusive with us. It's just more like, how do they interact with us? And I think recruiters get a bad rap or companies get a bad reputation because of how high churn it is. So yeah. if you, you speak to a recruitment company, 
they've got your information, they know what your rate is, you know when you're available, then that person leaves and then their next trainee comes in and they're targeted on just speak to as many people as possible because that's how you're going to learn. Like you need mm -hmm. to start talking to people, but they're just having the same conversation over and over again. And I think a lot of contractors, candidates just feel like they've been stripped for information, like who are your previous hiring managers, who are your references? So there, it, there's a lot of uh, take with no give. Um, yeah. it's, and it's, it's almost taking advantage of people that are in a vulnerable position when they're looking, uh, mm -hmm. because like, stress, it's stressful looking for a job. So if you're then getting called by recruiters that don't even have a job for you, they're just, they just want information out of you. That's, that's not helpful or you think you've got something from a recruiter and then you never hear back from them. That's, it's just the simple things. It's just bad behaviors that um, yeah. a lot of recruiters display that, that give the industry a bad name. That's really interesting. So I guess it's uh, from a, like a competitive standpoint, right? There's so many uh, recruiters out there coming in high churn. Like you said earlier, they're being trained up on the phones just to speak to people for practice. And so yeah. people are doing it. They're just extracting knowledge or information out of them to kind of understand candidates and the market that they're operating in. And then obviously the candidates just don't hear back from them or nothing progresses and all that kind of stuff. Christ. Yeah. I could understand why that would be uh, infuriating. Um, I remember the question that I had before is to do with relationships. Yeah. You mentioned, um, relationships in prospecting, which is quite interesting because from a sales point of view, in my world, I would say that you don't need a relationship to sell. Right. And yeah. more specifically, like obviously the difference being you have a product or service and you just need to find someone that has a need for your product or service. It's that simple. And so you don't need a relationship. You just need to find the people that need your product and service if they need it now, if not, is that going to change in the future? Does it make sense to call them back or yeah. whatever that might look like? And so relationships help, but you don't need one, but you mentioned it's quite useful for, I assume on both sides from the candidate point of view and both from the business hiring. Yeah, definitely. But like, you, you almost can't force that either. Like it does take time and yeah. Um, like we, we invest a lot of time in like our community of contractors because we know that like our, our plans are like, we don't want to take over the world. We don't want to be the biggest re recruitment company there is. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep 50 to 60 contractors on our book at any one time and look after them, and they're high quality contractors, we've got a profitable business. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a case of, of that other 150, when can we get them on our books when they're available? So it's, it's a simple business model. Mm. And then how do you look after them? Like you check in with them, like you get to know them on a personal level. They're then w without even like knowing, like they want to see us be successful as well. So they'll introduce us to other people. They'll pass us leads for things. Yeah. Um, so on the contractor side, it makes complete sense on, and, and candidates as well. But at a senior level, candidates are clients. So like the amount of times where someone's hired people from us and then in two years time, they're looking for a job, they'll come back and, and then they've got a different hat on. They're looking for a job this time. So having a, a relationship with them, understanding them as an individual, because you're trying to find them a job, which is going to set them on a different path. Like you are changing a part of their life or trying to at least. Yeah. Um, so trying to get to understand the individual long-term, it's not just a case of prospect sales, no move on. Like you don't need to know everyone. You just need to have your little network of people and then grow it. Yeah. Now that's really interesting. That seems like a really sound strategy. And, uh, how would that differ? Actually, I'd got two questions. The first one was, um, I guess with contractors from what you're saying is there there's obviously a high chance of repeat business right and you know that they might have a year contract or a two-year contract yeah. or whatever right so that kind of makes sense and yeah you kind of nurture that and almost help them develop their career with them right so you're more of a kind of <clears throat> i don't know if you want to say partner or whatever um well, so on, on that point like if you think a lot of these people are technical in in what they've done, they've been successful in their permanent career. And for like one of a few reasons they've decided to go contracting the, the part to them that is alien is finding the next job. 
Uh, some of them are good at it. They leverage their own network. Maybe they're a bit um, more active on LinkedIn, but but we almost act like the business development arm of their business. Yeah. So we've got contractors that have worked for us consecutively, obviously through different businesses now, but consecutively for like the last five or six years. So they only get their projects through us. And that's, that's not intentional. It's just, it's happened over time because we know that you're working for us. We know your contract's due to finish in two or three months. So we've got that window of opportunity to line your next role up. And as long as they're happy and we're finding them the right work, yeah, then they'll stay with us. So they're, they're technically like, we're a two-person business, but we've got 50-odd people working for us at the moment. And we know exactly what they will do. We know how to pitch their services because we've worked with them for so long. And then we just add other good people in when we need to. Yeah. No, that's really interesting to hear because, I, like I said earlier, the perception of recruiters is really bad. And so when you paint it like that, it's it like it kind of softens the role and like the perception of the role for perhaps people listening that never, never really thought about it before. Um, mm. It's a lot more kind of strategic and long-term than perhaps like the, the perception would, would suggest. Uh, and yeah, it's interesting because like going back to traditional sales and my experience and my understanding, you, the differences would be you, you have in most companies, they'd separate business development, um, and then people who handle the sales meetings typically is a BDR and SDR. Uh, yeah. and then you've got an account executive who handles the meetings. Uh, and yeah, they separate that process. Um, but after that they're, they're just pre-sales, right? So some AEs would get involved in, um, kind of client relationships and trying to grow, but for the most part, they'd have some sort of account manager or client success manager who would kind of nurture yeah. and grow all of that. Uh, and yeah, it's very separate and kind of like a production line, so to speak of, and I think as well for one reason that sales has such a bad rap is because it's very transactional in that sense. Right. And a lot of prospects that kind of go through that process, they say one thing to the, the BDR or the SDR, and then they have to repeat themselves to the A yeah. all the information gets passed across and they just feel yeah, like a number just going through, um, going through that kind of production line and then hopefully on the back end, yeah, they sign up and then someone can grow that account. But if, um, if you're, like if you're working on that production line and you've got your targets to get and however many meetings in the diary for the next person, it's almost like, right, I've done my bit and then that's it. Yeah. Whereas even more so now, since we started our own business, like I'm finance, I'm marketing, I'm like back office. I'm like agony aunt. Like I'm literally everything. Like some days you just like feels like you're babysitting adults. Like some of the stuff that we have to deal with, and you just think like, wow, that's literally wiped out my whole morning. But I need to do it. And yeah. like we we go on to calls like where we're, we're meeting a new client, and we literally say like, you are speaking to the entire company here. So like in terms of how quickly decisions can be made, every part of the process is managed by one of us. Like we have complete control of it. Um, obviously, we outsource some things when we know we need to, but then like we're very careful about the partners that we pick to do that because we see them as an extension of our business. Mm. So I think if you were to split it down too much, like you just then care about your own bit and then you lose sight of that customer experience or the, for us, the candidate experience, like well, we've done yeah. our bit and then it's someone else's problem now. Yeah, it's a good point. I think uh, my personal, in in my world, and my personal op opinion on it is that it's good to split up business development and people that handle the sales meetings, only because it gives you kind of a singular focus. Mm. And yeah, I think like because be business development is so hard, especially if you were picking up the phone and doing it. I I think the late the the less distractions you have, the better someone's going to get at that job and they can focus on it more. Whereas if you've got to also prospect and uh, hold the meetings and all that, it can be quite a bit of a distraction uh, yeah. and not impossible, but just requires a little bit more kind of experience and organization. Um, but yeah, I think when you can focus it down, the problem that you have is the, not everyone has the same idea of what good looks like. 
Mm. Uh, and so AEs will blame BDRs for not qualifying the meeting. BDRs who set the meetings will say that um, they've disqualified someone that perhaps was qualified um, and all these different, because they're relying on one another, right? And so, yeah. yeah, you can get all of that, but I think it's easily sold if you just have a set kind of idea of what good looks like and parameters of, right, this is a qualified uh, lead and whether the AE or whoever takes the meeting did a good job and did their job properly, right? And what does good look like in that scenario? Because, um, yeah. yeah, once you have that, if everyone's happy and there's no kind of guessing game or pointing fingers, then it should just be like a well-oiled machine, so to speak. But then you've got obviously like high churn, like you said, you've got new people coming in and all this. Like yeah. it's never as straightforward as that. Um, that perhaps that's why I like experience. Uh, in recruitment, you... You do treat, you should treat like your own desk as your own business. Like if you can cut out the noise of what's going on in the agency, Sandra next to you is pissed off because she's not done a deal for three months. Like that doesn't mean you work for a bad company. It's just, she's either not very good or like her market's not very good. But like if you treat your own desk and then it's like, well, what does good look like in my market and what KPIs work for my market? Because I don't know, like, we, we work with a lot of engineering managers, so they're on the shop floor. So just bashing the phones, they're never sat at a desk. So it's hard to get hold of them that way. So what KPIs work to get hold of people yeah. like that? Um, and it's, it's sort of, I guess it's ingrained in like, what does a good day look like? And I think it was a bit more like mechanical when we started, I just had like a, an A3 pad in front of me and I had like Monday to Friday, like BDs, meetings booked, interviews, CVs added, managers added, new businesses added. And I knew in my head how many of them I needed to do in a week for it, for it to be a good week. And then what would convert from that? And that was literally just like tallying, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't done enough BDs today, so I need to do more tomorrow. And that was, that, that was building a desk from scratch. Now it's more quality over quantity yeah. and spending a bit more time like linking who knows who. So I want to get in with a CEO of this new company. So I'm not just going to pick up the phone and call him. Who do I know that is connected with him? Who have I worked with before that can introduce me to him and, and, and go in that way? So it's I'll probably make less calls now, but th- there's a better, stronger reason to make that call. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I assume that's just that was deliberate over just getting more experience doing the job and working in the yeah. industry. Yeah, so some of the easiest placements we'll make, like we, we call them resales, but like a contract finishes a six-month contract. They've been contracting for 10 years, so they could have completed 15, 20 contracts in that time. So what companies would they go back to? What mm. other contractors have they worked with before and where are they working? What managers have they worked for before and where are they working? And you just go to all of those people first and say, look, Martin's available. Have you got anything for him? And because they already know him, obviously it's still about timing. There's got to be a need there, but yeah. they're they're quite straightforward deals to do because you just it's just a puzzle. You're just linking people together. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and I can see as well why just over time it just gets easier because yeah, yeah you go more experience, better knowledge, and also uh, networking seems to be more going back to that relationship point networking is quite important in recruitment and who do you know and how can you get kind of connected in um yeah that's really interesting because you don't really need it it helps always it always helps right but in sale like in my world and more traditional sales if someone doesn't need your product or service doesn't matter how well you know them right um they just they just don't need it whereas i guess there's always going to be people hiring and there's always going to be people looking for jobs right so Having that and kind then, of and the, the difference and the rest of it is really good. The difference between that could be like years. Like you could, we could do a bit of work. <clears throat> like we've we've just launched um, a couple of searches with a CEO that I've not spoken to for a, a few years now, but did a bit of work with him for a while, and then they were in a different phase. He moved to the US, and um, he reached out and just said, like, "I've got a couple of searches coming up. Can we have a chat about them?" So it's like good to reconnect with him because it's been a few years, but he just said like, is like recruitment tough at the moment because I'm getting absolutely peppered with emails and cold calls from recruiters. And like through all of that, yes, he's hiring, 
but still like he's called the recruiter that he hasn't spoken to for a few years because I did a good job for him then and, and now he needs me again. It. So yeah. you've got to trust that that network, as long as you're doing a good job and your credibility's there, you, you've got your your pool of clients, but then you've got like your lifetime pool of clients that if they need you, they they, they will come back. Yeah. No, you just reminded me. I saw something the other day on LinkedIn and I don't know the person, um, someone in my network must have liked it. And they basically said that, uh, and I'm, this isn't word for word, something along the lines of, you know, that it's a tough time in recruitment right now because of the number of re recruitment podcasts that are coming yeah, out. That. <laughs> that yeah. uh, obviously the tone of the, the post is quite funny, but yeah, what's that about? We've, uh, yeah, we've not got to that point yet. I think I put a poll out actually saying like, what, what should we do more of like video content? Cause I do no video content, um, mm. in-person networking events, like podcasts, like, I don't know. It's just, I, I suppose with a recruitment podcast, you can target people like talking about themselves. So you can target yeah clients that you want to work with and say, come on and talk about your career because people will be interested. It might help people, right? They've come on the podcast straight away, right? You got any jobs? Like it's, it's a backhanded way to do business development, but yeah. How, how many people listen and versus the time it takes to do them? Like we've, we flirted with it, but I don't think we'll do it. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I always think like with, unless you're a contractor, like from what you're telling me, um, but like from my experience and I've always would fit under the perm like category, right? You're only ever thinking of recruitment when you need a job. Yeah. And for a yeah. lot of people, they're only really think they're only posting on LinkedIn when they need a job for most people, obviously there are people out there and all the rest of it that post consistently, but for most people, um, so yeah, I struggle to see the value for, I don't know, you just your average person, average LinkedIn user, who would watch a recruitment podcast unless they needed yeah. a job that's literally it yeah. right? and like there's so there's a window of opportunity like when, when we like the way that we recruit permanent jobs is is very different but um i think because we've we've recruited contractors for so long we're almost more proactive on their behalf because yeah, we know they're going to finish or we know someone that's not on our books is finishing so we target a lot of activity around trying to place that person so all of our activity is right, trying to find a project suitable for that skill set. But if you've got a niche permanent candidate that hasn't been on the market for five years and you know they're actively looking, you can apply the same activity to try and create a permanent role because more companies are, are likely to want somebody on a permanent basis as well. Yeah. So I think a lot of people look at recruitment as reactive on a client's behalf. So a client's got a job, they want you to give them three or four candidates to interview, then they'll pick their best one. But if you're working in a niche market and you believe that you can apply the right sort of activity around a candidate, a lot of what we, what we do, we create, um, there's only a handful of jobs that we have on at any one time where it's like a paid for search on behalf of the client. And through that, you're then getting paid to identify a talent pool of motivated candidates. You can only place one of them, but yeah. what you've done is found a load of people that are ready to move. And each one of them in commercial terms is, is worth a fee. So it's that's again, it's just self-fulfilling. It's just a constant cycle. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I was going to ask a question earlier. Um, so I'll ask it now. Often you see uh, on LinkedIn, people post jobs and at the bottom of those jobs, they'll say no recruiters are recruit yeah no recruiters allowed or not interested in recruiters <laughs> why yeah what's the main reason behind that why do i see it so often uh to save money probably oh really um yeah i think uh well com companies will try and leverage their own network but uh, unless you're incredibly well connected i guess if you ask you ask any hiring manager like are you trying to find the best person that you know or are you trying to find the best person for the job yeah because if you're trying to save a bit of money and you just want to work with bob who you worked with before then then bring bob in but if you yeah. actually want to find the best person for the job then that's a paid for service so a lot of the time it's companies that are trying to save the fee um 
and yeah they 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 need to post the advert for it to be visible but then they know as soon as they do that they're going to get peppered. bombarded yeah yeah i didn't think of it like that because what i was thinking was that uh and i've seen some other people post about this recently where some of the challenges for um i can't remember what you call it now what what do you call it when someone ta talent acquisition when you've got a ta team i'm an expert on this already and uh yeah they're looking to fill a role and they obviously have challenges with especially perhaps in this climate where a lot of people are sending in their CVs, right? They can't sort through all of these. Uh, And then obviously perhaps they're hiring for multiple roles. They don't have market knowledge or experience and all the rest of it. And I remember they were saying, yeah, they were struggling for weeks and weeks. And then they just gave it to a recruitment agency and hired someone like the same week or something like that. Yeah. Um, And my, yeah, my thoughts on it when I remember seeing a few of them were that unless you're, and maybe there's even an argument to outsource it there. Unless you're like a a household blue chip company that a lot of people have their dream career job starting there or not starting there, but just joining there and you're just inundated with CVs, then really there's always a value for hiring a recruiter or outsourcing it because basically for those reasons. Yeah, so obviously companies trying to save money, but I guess another reason would be that, yeah, they've got a, internal talent team um and it's their jobs to fill the jobs um and and companies will look at it and say we spent 300 grand on recruitment fees last year if we go and hire a good talent acquisition person on like 60 80 grand and then it's their job to fill the next load of roles we're going to make a cost saving like it, it adds up um but some of our most powerful relationships are with ta teams because they know that they can't do everything. And and mm-hmm. for us, my, I, I always say, um, unless they've got a certain skill set to, to be able to do it, some of the uh, like lower level or entry levels, some of the more volume recruitment, that they're better at doing that because the fee structure recruiters charge doesn't make sense for those level roles. Mm-hmm. If it's something more senior where it actually requires a search and all of the um, parameters and activity that goes on with that, you think, outsource it because you're going to save so much time and it probably is a network where you're going to have to go and head head headhunt someone so there's there's roles where you do think like as part of a ta budget they should still be able to go out for to an agency but we always say they should be some of the more senior roles that actually would benefit from the service i see okay um follow-up question then for you is are recruiters expensive no (laughs) Um, but it's a common uh, i don't know if it's a misconception not misconception is not the right word but it's a common perception and a lot of people would say the recruiters fees they charge through the roof and obviously if they're saying that then they i think they just discredit the job and how difficult it is yeah i think there's a there's a difference between uh like like the, the, the same price could be expensive or it could be good value for money. It depends what you get at the end of it. Like mm-hmm. you go out for a, a meal and it costs you a lot of money, but if you genuinely enjoyed the experience in the food, like, yeah, that was worth it. But if yeah. the food wasn't great, then it was expensive. Um, but it, it comes down to, yeah, people's past experience of working with recruiters. That's so, so often we talk about our feet, like, contract is easier because you just say this is the hourly rate and that's inclusive of our margin and that margin covers our debt protection our invoice financing the compliance software that we use so like it's not all profit like it costs us to run a placement so it has to cover that whereas permanent it will be well we pay our other agencies 15 percent um or we won't pay a fee up front and that, that that's where it's taken time and experience to turn down business but like we, we do turn down a lot of business now when like we insist on permanent searches that we have to take that third up front um because you are paying to do the sourcing you get candidates through to interview and then like it's yeah. you're then just managing the process from that you should get somebody to to accepting the job um but you're always going to get pushback. But if you're in a position to say no to that business, like that's that that's where you want to get to. We had a yeah. we had a, 
a client, I, she asked me, she's like, is there any negotiation on your fee? And I just said, no. And so like, well, how are you in a position to say that? I said, well, like, you called me. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you, someone recommended me to you. So they're like, this is, this is how we work. This is how we work with them. And they've got a candidate that they're very happy with. Um, and we worked on our terms and someone started last week, I think. So, oh, so she, I remember you telling me, so she came back. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we, we took the search on at our, at our fee and, and it got filled. Yeah. That's interesting because I was going to ask, or I was going to say, uh, I remember this is not even in recruitment. This has happened with estate agents as well. It's a big problem. Uh, like you said, there's the, they do a lot of work for free basically in the hope that yeah. they'll land someone. And then if they don't, then all of that time has been wasted. And I remember specifically the estate agent when we were looking to rent. And, uh, I think he took us to like four or five places in one go, and like he picked us up a couple of days, two or three days, put all this effort in, but then they were just kind of ramming properties down our throat that he knew deep down we were never going to say yes to, yeah. uh, just in the hope that we did. And I I didn't feel guilty, but obviously working in sales, I'm never going to say no to that service, right? He's going to find a property. But afterwards, I felt sorry for him because <laughs> put so much time and effort in and we ended up going with someone else. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine that happens a lot in recruitment. You, you, yeah, it does. Um, but you can, you can try and mitigate against that just through, um, like the questions that you ask to take the job on, because if you feel like you're, if you feel like you're forcing something or like everyone says in recruitment, like time kill, kills deals, if, if it's dragging out, there's a reason why. Um, yeah. and so like you, you could do a lot of work on contract roles and then it come to nothing. And that's because oh, we've actually found somebody permanent. So unless you've asked the question, is your priority to find somebody permanent in this position? And like, are you, are you reviewing CVs? Like is, is a perm search happening, but pe people like don't want to hurt your feelings because they, uh, and they also know it's a free service. So, well, we yeah. might need a contractor, so we might as well get them to do the work and then we'll just tell them no. Uh, but there's, there's things that just through experience you can spot and then try and manage it. Um, and again, like contract roles, are quite quick for us to work now because we know so it's not too much time invested if it does drop out yeah and you made some good points there that i can relate to because i bet this happens a lot in recruitment like it does in sales is that a lot of people are so attached to placing the job that they don't want to hear no and so yeah. they don't ask the tough questions and yeah. they don't try and uncover the truth and challenge whoever it's a candidate or the business and I bet ultimately they're just, they're just like barking up the wrong tree on they, and they're barking up two trees. Right. And I bet that happens a lot and just loads of times wasted. And yeah, I think in sales, it's pinned down to that. They're so attached to, they've got a candidate and they've got a role and trying to fill it rather than asking the tough questions and figuring out, is this going to make sense or is this even going to make sense in the long run? Because I remember this is going back years now, but someone was helping me place place me into a job and i was still in the final stages with another company but i got offered a job and the recruiter yeah. i was working with they basically said look this other company that you're still in uh the running for they just badmouthed them right and um talked talked me out of continuing and saying that this is a better company if i was you i would go down this uh path just to get me in the role, but it ended up being a nightmare company. I left after six weeks. I and remember. So, yeah. And so it was just wasted time on everyone's part. And I bet that happens yeah. a lot. And, and, and in recruitment, um, they'd have had to have given that feedback or at least some yeah. of, of the rebate periods. So it's not even worth their time. Um, yeah. I think like not asking the difficult questions, unfortunately, like a lot of recruiters, put like clients on a pedestal and they're just they're accepting what they're being told or letting the client manage the process and by by doing that it's the candidate that gets the brunt of it because you either yeah. go cold on the candidate and and they're not getting updates i mean like if, if you were to like word search in our um in our outlook email i think the most common phrase that you'll find in our emails is thank you for the update. And it's it's just as simple as 
like a text or a call or something to say, yeah. call's been moved to Friday. So I'll have feedback for you then. And, and as yeah. long as they know, just that little simple thing, if you talk about differentiating yourself as a, as a recruiter, it's keeping people up to date because so many people don't do it or they just focus on the candidate that is going to get the job. And then the two that have done their final interview presentation and haven't heard anything, they're sat there like, well, what's going on? Like, it's just the absolute basics. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And yeah, I'm trying to think from my experience, I just did any, any, any experience of anything where you're waiting on something, just even if there is no update, just knowing that is good enough. Otherwise you fill in the blank uh, with a negative, like you just, your mind goes to the, the worst case. Um, yeah. And then people get a bit. And I guess and in recruitment world, especially if this is perm or it could be contract as well, like people are out of jobs. So it's their yeah. livelihood that they're waiting on here. So it's a lot more important than, I don't know, just finding out whether your wedding venue has been confirmed or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. That's pretty important. Yeah. I thought that for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, we've been chatting for a while. We're going to wrap this up. Um, I had a couple of other questions. I think you answered one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, and we've talked about this, the first one, we've talked about this before in recruitment. You as the individual, the recruiter, you are basically the product and the service of the company, right? And you've obviously gone out on your own with Nathan after a while. Um, and how to phrase this question, what best way to put it is there is there any reason if someone's been working in recruitment for a while is there any reason why they shouldn't go out on their own knowing or if we and I you and I can agree that they're both the product and the service yeah is there any reason why they shouldn't go out and do what you've done um like uh, unless it's something down to like if, if you can like hold a mirror up against yourself and for one reason or another, you don't think that your behavior traits would do well with working for yourself. So like you have to work in an office with other people. You have to have a manager who's cracking the whip, like something mm -hmm. like that. Like you're just, you're suited to being employed. Um, other than that, like if you've worked in recruitment for long enough, whether it's contract or perm, if, if you want to stay in recruitment, then you can you can quite quickly get up to your earnings and beyond by going on your own and yeah. we're not the first people to have done it but we're definitely not the last so many people have, have maybe even seen what we've done like ex-colleagues and stuff and, and have gone since and all of them are like wow i should have done this sooner but like timing's everything like we did it yeah. in the middle of a pandemic um where for us we spotted that our market was gonna explode so it was a case of like, we need to time this now and take advantage of that. And, and we did, but for other people, it might just be a lifestyle choice. They don't like the travel anymore. Like they've got kids, they need to be at home. Like there's so many reasons why people should do it, yeah. but a lot of people don't. There's a lot of people that are too scared to take that leap. And like, we, we almost needed to take our own advice because we, we speak to a lot of people in permanent roles that move into contracting for the first time. I've had this conversation like three times today. And it's just breaking down how easy it is to do it. Mm -hmm. And you just then need to take that leap of faith. Does it fit your personal situation? Do you know what services you're going to offer? The two main things you need to work out. So after a while, me and Nathan were just like, why are we doing this for someone else? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think from a recruitment point of view, even more so, the, like I said, you are the product and the service. So yeah. if you're good at it, and I can understand the accountability piece of needing a manager and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, like if you're good at your job and you're, you're, you're doing deals and whatever, like why wouldn't you go and do it on your own? Cause you're giving whatever percentage back to the company, just, just for sitting in perhaps yeah. their office or just for them to give you a laptop or whatever. And obviously the money <clears throat> recruitment's good. Uh, you can have your own freedom by doing that. Yeah. Uh, by going on your own uh me you personally... need to know why you're going on your own like that's that's something you definitely need to work out like if if me and nath weren't on the same page with wanting to keep it as the two of us like two and a half years in if i suddenly said right i want to get an office i want to start growing like we wouldn't be aligned yeah and a lot of people do that's why you've got all of these like recruitment advisors on linkedin telling you they can help you get to 50 people and then sell like 
they're incredibly hard businesses to sell because yeah. you don't have a product like it's, it goes back to that so that's why tech stacks in recruitment are so important because it's like what what is somebody buying if they buy your company at the moment if somebody came in to buy me and nathan they would literally be bu buying us uh, yeah, it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not worth anything so we know that it's a profitable vehicle for other things that we want to do and we're on the same page with that which is why it made sense to do it yeah nice no, yeah we've had that conversation as well it's a really good point uh i guess for people that perhaps thinking about making the leap and doing it is what does a long-term future look like because yeah especially if you're self-employed are there many people that are just self-employed one-man band recruiters loads oh really yeah, loads. so yeah for them yeah. it's like i said it's I guess the same for me as well, being self-employed, like you've got to be committed to it in the long term. Otherwise, if you haven't, then what's your exit strategy and basically how are you going to survive, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I was going to ask you, what if someone is sat there, and you kind of answered this, if someone's sat there listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, you know, I like the sound of this Capu business, I want to go and set up my own. Yeah, what would be the number one piece of advice for people doing that? Obviously, you mentioned figure out why you're doing it, but is there anything else or would that be it? Um, yeah, I mean, like, just like what, what are you trying to achieve is important. But like, if you've, if you've built a desk, you've built a business within a business for someone else, you, you know the market's there. So yeah. like, that bit's checked off. Um, you just start to understand how like the business side of it works. Like, honestly, it's, it's so straightforward. There'll be so many people in a recruitment job that have thought about doing it. Like it is just, just do it. Well, <laughs> like, if Craig can do it. I know people won't know <laughs> if Craig can do it, then anyone can do it. I know that. Well, the, the, the whole reason, uh, Capu came about and, um, won't name names, but, uh, like an, an ex colleague had gone on their own. And I, I think they must've got up to like six or seven people. And, and Nathan saw the update on LinkedIn of the seventh hire and he just screenshot it and sent it to me. He was like, if they can do it, like we can. And, yeah. and, and maybe at that point we were thinking we'd grow something, but that just started the conversation of the timing was right for us. Um, and it was as simple as that. We went for a coffee, both took a notepad, didn't write anything down and it was just, so should we do it? Yeah. All right. And then that was it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's just a belief thing like going yeah. out on your own isn't it it's just you don't have uh the experience or knowledge of how to do it you don't know if you can do it but you just got to go and do it and then you quickly realize oh it's just doing what i'm doing before but for myself now yeah i need to keep myself more accountable because yeah. there's no one like i'm not i'm not going to get uh docked wages if i turn up late regularly or given a um reprimanded or whatever but aside from that, it's all the same, isn't it? And yeah, you just got to get do a good it. accountant, get like, yeah, yeah, like good ATS. Like just there, there's things that you should invest in early, but other than that, you you're up to speed and you do a couple of deals, you're profitable again. So yeah, like the it was it was almost like never a question whether it would be successful or profitable because we'd we'd done it for so long. But like the the main benefit shift that I saw was just the freedom. Um, yeah, and that's good. where, uh, I guess, because there's two of us, like we continue to drive each other because we've got certain ambitions that, like, right, well, I'm not going to work for the next three months. Like that, that wouldn't work because yeah. of like how I'm wired. But like the freedom that I've got is play golf in the morning if I want to, which I am. Um, like that, that, that's that's the setup that we've got. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think on that kind of topic. Um like having to do work because you have to versus doing work because you want to is completely different and yeah. if you want to go out on your own rather than like you said i fell into recruitment this is just something i have to do it's the yeah. same work but you're doing it for yourself on your terms and you want to do it because you made this decision right i'm going to go out on my own and it's complete i don't know if you experienced the same it's a complete mindset shift and you end up working more and harder, yeah. Yeah, but you do. it's not, it's like, it's not as hard if that makes sense. It's not as bad as it sounds because oh, I, I want to do this work as opposed yeah. to, I now have to. Yeah. And, and, um, going back to this group of uh, 150 contractors, like 
to, to not overcomplicate it. It's just a case of me and Nate saying, right, all, all we have to do is try and work with these 150 people. If all of our activity is linked to trying to place these people and then looking after them when they're working for us, we turn down business that doesn't suit our terms or we don't need to work with people that we don't like or we know aren't very good. Like we, we only speak to people that we enjoy speaking to. Like that that's that's the job that we now get paid to yeah. do. So like that's that's a brilliant position to be in. But you like we can't take our foot off the gas because like I was looking at our, our finishers yesterday for something. And I think we've got one contractor that's on a contract until like April twenty twenty four, um, because he's just been extended for a year. And then all of our other contractors, their current end date is somewhere between there and now. So if we did absolutely nothing and then they all finished by this time next year, we would have, we wouldn't have a business. So like yeah. you, 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 it's not like, how can we get it to a point And then, and then it's just recurring. Like you have to stay on it. Constantly needs to be fed. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, look, I'm conscious of time. We've hit the hour mark. I had one last question for you. And that oh. question was, Obviously, this can is a podcast. Huh? Can I have a can t-shirt? Have a t-shirt? <laughs> Sorry, I'll have a hoodie. I'll have one of your hoodies. They're quite cool. Um, <laughs> no, the question was, obviously, this is a podcast for salespeople. A fair amount of people that follow me are recruiters, uh, probably your day-to-day recruiters that are working for some company. So given that you've been in this role or industry for 10 years, you've gone out, set your own business up. The question is, for those people, what's the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out in recruitment? Um, uh, like I, I, I reflect a lot more than I did. Um, but then I guess I've got 10 years to reflect on. Um, <laughs> you but, can reflect uh, on every deal though, right? Or yeah, every yeah, interaction. Like yeah, it's, yeah. So it's more, uh, I could look at a placement now and think, well, where, where did that actually come from? Um, yeah. like what introduction, what piece of activity? Because I think in recruitment, no matter what stage you're at, like your first day, your 10th year, like you are literally one phone call away from changing your life. Like you, you don't know what's going to happen on that phone call or off the back of that meeting. So it, it, it is a numbers game, mm. but really analyzing what works and whether, whether a, a placement has come from a cold call three months ago or a recommendation, or you took someone out for dinner and they introduced you to X and really working out where a lot of our business comes from and then repeating that. But like I said, like we've got 10 years to reflect on now. So maybe that's easier for us to do. Um, so what else would I? Yeah, no, I think that's good. I'll, I'll add to it. I think that's really good because um, that's the only way that you're going to learn. And I guess, like you said, there's so many different ways of um, managing your time and activity. So rather than a numbers game, I'd say it's more of an activity game, right? And making sure that there's different areas of activity, whether it's networking, referrals, cold calling, LinkedIn, mm. all these different things, trying to figure out well, what's working best in different scenarios. Um, but also I think, because like we said earlier, there's a lot of time wasted from recruiters. And I can't remember the phrase you said is, what was it? Something about wasted time? What, time kills deals time kills deals yeah i think that's probably the the number one enemy of recruiters is just wasting time and from sales in my world thing i would want to focus on is disqualifying hard like really really hard and i reckon you should probably yeah. do that more in recruitment than you should in sales because you basically you want to match up the right person or the right candidate with the right role yeah. and you can only do that by like really challenging them and asking questions and getting yeah. to the bottom of like, what is it they're looking for? Cause like I said, if you, if it's a perm job or I guess even a contractor job, like if you play someone and they leave, then you have to give yeah. some money back yeah. or you don't get paid. I think that's probably like you said, time's probably the biggest enemy or the biggest. Yeah. For, and, for and, most and recruiters, like, right? Being able to, being able to say no and turn down more business again through experience that's that's easier to do because when you start yeah. out you're just trying to impress people like your managers or like you're just going with the flow with any client that will give you the attention but like if you can work out like the opportunity cost of anything that you do so right i'm going to take on this search but um like we used to have like a 
fillability tracker. So it'd be like, it, do we have high commitment on it? Is it in an area that we specialize in? Is there yeah. an active development pool? Is it on our terms? So all of these things. And you'd work out where it sat on there and then you prioritize which jobs you work. So you basically want to work a, an A1 job. Um, but if, you, if that's ingrained with you before you even take business on or before you commit to a meeting, like what am I actually going to get out of this? Like, is yeah. it worth my time? Because if I do take this on, I'm going to have to put the effort into it. And then that's time not spent doing other things that could lead to bigger, better things that are more aligned to our business. So in the current market, if like recruiters are listening to this and the market's dipped a bit, like it's, it's easy to start to take roles on that you wouldn't have done before because you feel like you need to, but that's where like it's holding firm on what you focus on and, and what your terms are. Like don't get sucked into a race to the bottom on your feet because it, you're then just going to be in that spinning cycle and you're yeah. never going to get back up to the level that maybe you were at. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's a great point. Just being able to say no more. Yeah. I think it's more difficult uh, if you're like, one of the benefits of you and Nathan being on your own is that you don't have, you can do that. Right. And you can make these assessments and kind of these decisions. Whereas in a business, there's still eyes on activity. Right. And yeah. I imagine a lot of times wasted on that. Well, look, yeah. uh, let's wrap this up. We've been talking for well over an hour. Um, but yeah, look, I appreciate you coming on Duncan. That was really interesting and insightful. You're uh, yeah, I learned a lot about recruitment and uh, dare I say, I have a lot more sympathy for recruiters out there. Um, yeah, I do think it's a harder job. There's a lot of similarities with sales, of course, but I, I do think it's a harder job than selling or shifting a, a product or service. So yeah, if you're a recruiter and you're listening, look, you've got my sympathies. So I wish you all the best in this difficult market. Um, so yeah, I have nothing else to add. Do you want to add any closing comments? Or should we wrap it up? I think we'll wrap it up. I'm 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 good to go. Thank you for having me on. That was my uh, that was my podcast cherry. There you go, mate. Who better to to pop it? All right. Well, <laughs> look. Yeah. Thanks again, and uh, all the best in your round tomorrow morning. Thank and you. for everyone else, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and uh, yeah, I'll see you in the next one. All right. Take care.